Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, data with the only wrestling podcast as limitless as Keith Lee. We are back talking all things NXT and AEW this week, but today's show will also feature an expanded edition of Getting Overtime, where I answer your questions about not just Wednesday shows, but WWE in general and pop culture. Going to save looking at MTV's The Challenge 35 for next week, considering the cliffhanger they gave us at the end of the show. I hate when they do that. But this is a wrestling podcast anyway, and we have plenty of wrestling to talk about. Before we get to it all, you know the drill. Follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast, and please subscribe to Getting Over wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to drop that five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and please tell your friends about this show as word of mouth is the absolute best way for us to grow. Now, ahead of the main event today, I wanted to touch on some recent conversation about WWE's dipping ratings and a stagnation on the low end of ratings for NXT and AEW. I've heard from a lot of people that empty arena wrestling is not for them and they don't want to watch until fans are back. And that's a totally legitimate opinion to have. But for some reason, personally, maybe it's because it's a distraction Maybe because there's nothing else really going on. I've been enjoying what WWE has been putting on post-WrestleMania. The storylines have been more cohesive and comprehensive. They've weaved throughout the show. There's a limited list of talent that they've been working with. So you're seeing them take their time, both in storylines and in matches. Things are a lot less convoluted than they normally are in WWE at this time of year. And there's new people being featured on both shows and even in NXT and AEW as well. NXT with WrestleMania has stepped up by featuring new superstars now that Shayna Baszler and Bianca Belair have left the women's side and Gargano and Ciampa are no longer in the main event picture, really. And AEW, while I do think they have struggled or had been struggling over the last four to six weeks, they got their momentum back this week with a damn good show. So I do get the lack of interest for some in wrestling right now. Totally understandable. Um, But candidly, I think it's something that has helped me get through these times. And I don't really see what's wrong with enjoying, you know, Angel Garza, um, Andrade, Zelina Vega, and Austin Theory in a kind of new faction. And the Street Profits getting more time to be themselves. Uh, Drew McIntyre and Seth Rollins doing great character work. I've been enjoying these shows. And I just hope that, you know, even though I don't like that they're putting them on, because I think that they're putting the talent at risk and, and inherent with that, comes a a change in attitude and perspective about, you know, the wrestling business as a whole, not just WWE, AEW, they're going back live as well next week. At the same time, I would be lying if I was saying I wasn't entertained by this stuff. So I do see the ratings going down. I do see interest dropping in some way. My only hope is that when fans come back, all of that ramps up again. But with that, we're here to talk about what happened Wednesday night on AEW and NXT. So we're going to hop into the main event. And we're going to start this week with AEW because I thought they bounced back with their best show in at least six weeks. Um, Dynamite was just really good from start to finish. And candidly, over prior weeks, it had not been that. Now, Tony Khan did promise us that this was going to be one of the best shows that we have seen uh, in the empty arena era. And I do think he actually delivered on that. I do not think it was the best show that we've seen that would probably go 
to an episode of Raw, because WWE has been pretty solid, and NXT's put on some damn good shows as well. But this was one of AEW's best efforts. So he did kind of follow through on his promise, unlike when he called one of their pay-per-views the best North American pay-per-view of all time, and he said that Moxley, Jake Hager was going to be the best empty arena match ever. Both of those things did not happen. But we're here to talk about this week, and I'm here to praise AEW. Um, I thought the TNT Championship Tournament was extremely solid. While I do believe they had the wrong match in the main event again, I understand the booking. Cody and Darby Allen was superior in terms of entering work. It was more exciting. But what they wanted was that final image of Archer over a beaten Dustin Rhodes with Cody looking on, um, you know, upset for his brother. Obviously, Cody ran down at the end to kind of save him, protect him, whatever the case. Um, and now you have the ultimate rivalry, Archer-Cody, which they've been building during this entire empty arena era uh, for the TNT championship, the inaugural TNT championship. So I get why they put that match at the end. I did think Lance Archer's um, top rope, tight rope moonsault was cool. Uh, I think people kind of went crazy about it when we have people like Dijakovic and Keith Lee and other really big guys doing things that are just as impressive, if not more. But it was unexpected, and therefore it was indeed cool. And I don't think I've seen Archer do something like that before. I am starting to feel, though, that Dustin's becoming a little bit of a one-trick pony with the blood. I mean, yeah, granted, he's been wrestling forever, and it's there's nothing against him. He's fantastic. He's still really good in the ring, considering his age. But in AEW, I just don't necessarily love him. Um, I feel like he gets featured far too prominently for someone who really should be there, not as enhancement talent, but... Someone who should be there really just to help other guys along um, where he's instead being, again, I think it was a back-to-back main events for this guy. You know, the prior one definitely did not make sense. This one at least made booking sense. So I'm kind of out on Dustin a little bit, not as a person or uh, his career, just his current role in AEW. Uh, Spencer Ward at SpencerW00. He writes in, does it make sense to put two main guys in a mid-card title feud isn't the mid-card title meant to make new wrestler stars? Seems like a waste. I'm talking about the TNT title here. I'm going to disagree. Um, Cody Archer is the right booking for the championship match. Cody can't compete for the AEW title based on storyline. So this is really the best that he can do right now. Therefore, it makes complete sense he would go after the TNT championship. Archer is a mid-carder. They literally just brought this guy in like five, six weeks ago. So he is not a main event superstar yet. They already have their main event picture kind of rolling. Moxley's not even there. So there's not a main title to compete for right now. Um, So for me, this is really the right booking here. Would I have loved to have seen Darby Allen in the championship match? Of course. I think Darby's really good. I don't actually like the aesthetic that much, but there's no questioning his talent as a wrestler. Um, But Cody and Archer is definitely the right booking for this. Archer winning is the right booking too, but I would not hate to see Cody be the inaugural TNT champion. There is some sentimentality there, and, you know, Cody's probably, when fans come back, along with maybe Drew McIntyre in WWE, going to be one of the most over superstars out there. Uh, He has been, wrestlers, I should say. He had been, you know, through the duration of AEW to this point, so having him be on TV with the TNT championship initially is great. It also sets up a nice scenario where, MJF, you know, feels like, well, he beat Cody, he should get to challenge for that title. But then Cody retains over MJF. And that's how he finally gets over on him after MJF, you know, has beat him and gotten over on him so many times. So I think it's totally fine. Uh, The best part of Dynamite, though, 
was the segments they did away from the ring this week. There have been decent ones in recent weeks. They've done a good job. But the ones on the show on Wednesday night really hit right for me. And as I said about the Gargano, Candice LeRae segment last week in their dining room, all shows need to do these far more often, especially during this era. You do not need wrestlers in a ring to develop their character and tell storylines. WWE, NXT, and AEW all need to spend significant portions of their show away from the ring, developing characters um, and putting them in a light where you kind of understand what they are better, especially people who are not able to be there or don't want to be there on television. For example, I don't know whether Kevin Owens has told WWE that he's not going to compete during this time, but let's assume that he has, right? The parking lot, uh, parking garage video that he cut, great. Keep building on it, right? He just came off a big win over Seth Rollins at WrestleMania. We've seen Rollins every week. We've heard from Kevin Owens one time. I want to know what Kevin Owens is thinking. Is he talking about going after a mid-card title? Does he want Andrade? Is he positioning himself for a world championship match with Drew? What's happening with him right now? So these are all things I want to know. And WWE, for all the money and all the talent, it does not cost a lot of money to get an HD camera, ship it up there, have them buy one from Best Buy and get it shipped to their house, have their wife or significant other or a friend tape a segment, hire a local videographer wherever these people live. There are numerous ways to be able to create content. Uh, And WWE really in particular needs to be taking advantage of it because they have the talent in which they can take advantage of it. Uh, But that said, going back to Wednesday night, uh, Britt Baker, I thought it was her best work yet, period. In ring, out of ring, on the mic, whatever. Uh, It perfectly showcased her character as a self-centered, demanding bully. Uh, I actually care about her and I have begun to care about her more week to week, which I did not for a very long time. The Bubbly Bunch segment uh, was far better than last week. It was smart to involve celebrities. It may actually be something that goes a little bit viral and gets AEW some additional attention. But it was funny. It was natural. And the little cameos were pretty cool, even though, you know, Jay and Silent Bob in 2020 is kind of a depressing scene, if I'm being honest. Uh, Speaking of John Moxley, his video was solid. But, you know, as I've said previously on the show the last couple of weeks, I'm struggling to get into him as champion. Um, I think he's way better in the chase than he is as the champion. And while the subject matter of the video was completely solid, it just felt like something that was forced to me. And this is no hate for Moxley at all. I like him a lot. Just something's not hitting right. And maybe it's just me and I may be on an island here, but that is how I feel. And after all, this is the Getting Over podcast with Adam Silverstein. So I'm allowed to say that. Uh, I did like that they went back, as I suggested a week ago, and they did another wrestling breakdown segment with Taz. I thought that was great. I believe this week's was with Lance Archer. And again, ahead of the main event match with Dustin, just top-notch stuff. Really, really smart. Keep doing those Taz segments. Those should be weekly. And we also saw a second uh, promo or feature with Scorpio Sky. And they've been good. Uh, I think a lot of people are giving them very high praise. I don't necessarily think they deserve that, but they are getting me to invest more in the Scorpio Sky character. But it's a little bit strange because they already gave him that short singles push against Jericho where he got the title opportunity, had a really good match, he ultimately lost. And now kind of seemingly out of nowhere after going having been back in the tag team situation, they're featuring him solo again. So I'm starting to wonder whether their plan is for him to start working solo completely and have the other guys 
work as a tag team. And Adam X Parsons at Adam X Parsons writes in, said, I don't know if you've talked about it recently, but the Sky segments um, have made him feel like a bigger star than the rest of SCU. What are your thoughts on his trajectory? I agree. Uh, I mean, he is a bigger star than the rest of SCU. He is the best of the three, both in the mic and in the ring. And I know that may be sacrilege for big Christopher Daniels fans or people who like Frankie Kazarian. But to me, Scorpio Sky has always been the best of the three in the two to three years that I've actually followed them, which granted is a lot less than some other people. Uh, but Scorpio Sky is a future champion. I mean, he has the ability um, in every phase of the game to be a world champion in AEW. So I think they recognize that and they're pushing him as such. And we've certainly discussed ad nauseum here that the diversity of the AEW roster uh, does not live up to the standards that they themselves set when the company first started. Uh, and certainly it doesn't even live up to WWE standards, which, you know, people don't really give WWE enough credit. But when you look at their roster top to bottom, who's been champions, maybe not the world champion, that's different, although that seems to have been in the process of getting corrected, certainly with Kofi, but with other things that have happened recently. Um, when you look at WWE's just diversity and not just uh, in race, but in uh, sexuality and preferences and nationality. Uh, there is a very diverse group of people working in WWE right now. And AEW is a young company. They're going to get a lot stronger. Their roster is going to get more defined and, and specialized as the years go on, assuming it lasts for multiple years. Uh, but right now, you know, the main event scene in AEW is very, it has one look. And Scorpio Sky is a little bit different of a look. And I think he's plenty deserving of opportunities, again, for his character work, his in-ring ability. Uh, he's entertaining. I always think he's the best part of SCU when they would do those segments on being the elite. So I'm a big Scorpio Sky fan, and I do think he has a high trajectory uh, in AEW. And to finish up on AEW this week, this may be a bit of a controversial take, but I can't come around to liking best friends. They're good wrestlers, definitely. Orange Cassidy, entertaining, no question. It just seems very repetitive to me, and... I'm starting to wonder if Orange Cassidy peaked for me, not for the fans, for me, with the match against Pac because it was so surprising and so good and so entertaining that you're not going to get that shock factor again with him. Um, and you can give him titles. You can allow him to start talking. There's a lot of different funny things that you can do with Orange Cassidy and with best friends because they are entertaining. But it is all going to feel like deviations of the same thing. Uh, and I, I guess that's true for a lot of characters. So maybe I'm being exceptionally harsh on them. But when their music hits and they come out for a match, I just don't care. And I don't know why. Maybe it's just too bland to me. I can't really put my finger on it. But, you know, I was watching the show and it's just a thought that came through my mind. I was like, I just do not care about this match. I don't really care about Jimmy Havoc. I don't care about Kip Sabian. I just didn't care at all for that segment. Now, moving on to NXT, it was a solid show as well um, in NXT, but next week is shaping up to be massive. Before we get to that, though, we're going to talk about NXT from Wednesday night. It was awesome getting Mauro Ronaldo and Beth Phoenix back. A nice surprise having them on commentary. I'm glad that WWE did a trial balloon with this distance commentary. ESPN actually does it frequently for college football games and soccer. Uh, and the fact that WWE was able to make it work utilizing Tom Phillips' as a live go-between, it worked for me. I know that 
you know, they weren't there live and they purposely didn't show the announcer booth for that reason. They were trying to suspend disbelief there. Uh, but Mauro Ranallo calling NXT, it's just better. And Tom's great and he works really well on Raw, but Mauro is Mauro and I needed him on that show and I'm very excited to have him call next week's edition of NXT. Now, last week I complained that Swerve should have been getting put over strong in the NXT uh, interim cruiserweight tournament. And when he lost his first match, I got pretty depressed about it and it bothered me because this guy is a legitimate big time talent. But they came back this week. They put him over Elio de Fantasma uh, and it was an unexpected surprise for me. The match itself was a bit slow, but Swerve's promo afterward was very good. Again, all about character development. Now that said, WWE didn't really do him any favors with two cameras on him. Uh, He didn't know where to look. So that that was a little interesting, Uh, but Swerve is talented and he did cut a good promo, at least in terms of the words and emotions that he expressed. You saw afterwards another ambush for Phantasma. It even furthers my expectation that that's all a ruse and he's the leader of that group. Uh, But I do hope that they continue telling that story. I don't want that rushed. They have plenty of time. This tournament is still ongoing. But when they do explain the group and if he is the leader, I want to see him looking differently again. The vignette that they aired with Phantasma a few weeks ago, he looked badass. Him wearing a purple mask with a cape, it just doesn't give me the same feels. It just doesn't. Uh, Now, the Johnny Gargano um, entrance, ring announcing Candice LeRae was extremely entertaining. I know people don't like Candice being known as, quote unquote, Johnny's wife or Candice wrestling, and they don't like that being her gimmick. Well, that's not her gimmick anymore. And despite the fact that Johnny's with her, They are legitimately husband and wife, so it makes sense for them to be on screen together. They've completely, however, changed the dynamic of their relationship because instead of it always being Candace running out to check on Johnny and make sure that he's okay, she's the one that helped him win the Champa match. And now because of that, he is goo-goo-wise in love with her and he's obsessing over her. The match from Candace against Casey Cantanazaro wasn't exceptionally good, Though I do like Casey, I think she's going to figure it out. And she has a really bright future. There's, she can do things, simply, that a lot of people can't. Uh, I did love the new Wicked Stepsister finisher from Candice. And the Gargano escape coming back in the ring after the end of the match. It was a nice, aggressive end. And it really cemented home this new character, this new turn in personality for her. Uh, the segment backstage later in the show with Candice kind of laying down the law with Casey and Caden Carter who was checking on her after the match. It just doubled down on the gimmick. And again, it was another smart touch to hammer home that Candice is not the happy-go-lucky girl that she used to be. She is now a kind of badass woman who has her husband wrapped around her finger, it seems like. Uh, The new lead bros show, I don't even know how to tackle this. Um, Let's start with Byron Saxton, who is incredible. Uh, He gets a lot of grief, I guess, for being dorky or corny. But when he is given an opportunity to sink his teeth into something, he nails it. Like, think back to Kofi Kingston's WWE Championship run. He was awesome. I mean, on every single edition of SmackDown, during WrestleMania itself, calling the end of that match, Saxton was great. And he was insanely good and goofy hosting uh, this segment. And don't forget what he did in the Austin 316 segment back in March. I mean, was it kind of cringy? Yeah. But it was kind of supposed to be. And Byron has no qualms about just putting himself out there and making a fool about himself. And a lot of the best people historically in commentary or commentator roles are willing to do that. And Byron is one of them. So I just got to give it up to him because he just, 
he really made that segment work, whether you liked it or not. Um, but I did. I think it ultimately worked because it showed that Matt Riddle and Timothy Thatcher, that pairing, is even more of an odd couple than Riddle and Pete Dunne. Thatcher basically no-sold everything. Riddle's there dropping weed references and sex references. It was cringy, but at the same time, it was cringy in a good way. And the attack, the attack by Imperium at the end made complete sense considering their dedication to wrestling and not the foolishness that Riddle and kind of Thatcher were engaged in there. I wouldn't have minded had they grabbed a mic and said, you know, this is not what wrestling is about. You guys are a joke. We're going to take the tag team titles, throw the mic down, walk away. Just give me a little bit more to really, really, really put those guys over. Moving over to the Charlotte and Mia Yim match. You knew Charlotte was going to win, so no issue there. But I actually expected it to be more decisive than this. So it wasn't a surprise to see multiple near falls. Um, Yim hit, I think, her finisher on Charlotte. And it used to be called Protect Your Neck, but they changed it. Regardless, she still has a bit to go, despite being at this and having wrestled for a while. But being able to work with Charlotte was a plus for Mia Yim. Uh, it does bother me, though, that Charlotte doesn't really sell for her opponents uh, the way her father did when he is famous, famous for being a great seller. That's not saying she has to be exactly like Rick, but she basically no-sells a lot of stuff where Rick oversold. And it's there's a happy medium there. And I want to see Charlotte. She's good on offense. She's occasionally good on the mic. She's been better since she's been in NXT and since the script's been pulled and she's been able to speak for herself. She has been better on the mic. And that was a criticism that I gave her a few weeks ago. But despite all of her talent, she needs to sell better for her opponents. And that is something I think is missing from her game right now. I did like Io Shirai coming out after, immediately challenging her. Um, and it was really badass of Io telling her next week, you are mine. In many ways, Io Shirai is even more of a scary, aggressive persona in this heel role that she has than Asuka was back in NXT. Asuka was a total badass who would just ruin you, right? I mean, the chant was Asuka's gonna kill you, but Io Shirai looks like she doesn't give an F. And that is even cooler to me. So I'm very excited for Io Shirai and Charlotte. Um, thrilled that they're gonna be giving us that match. And as I said, next week's show is gonna be loaded. We're gonna talk about that a little bit later. Dexter Loomis continues to be the perfect character for this empty arena setting. A nice touch that for the first time they announced he now hails from Recluse, Wyoming. Uh, and him cradling Shane Thorne after that submission win was creepy and it was cool. Touch of Bray Wyatt there in addition to all the Psycho Sid elements that we've talked about previously. Fantastic emotion from Drake Maverick getting the win over Tony Nese in the Cruiserweight Tournament. It was necessary for Maverick to win, obviously, to continue the storyline. And he cut probably one of the best immediate surprise type of promos of the year right afterward. Lots of emotion, lots of truth, um, lots of passion. So even if WWE did not have plans to re-sign him, they really should be considering he's proven so much in this role. Keith Lee versus Damian Priest for the North American Championship in the main event was another great effort and an example of why Lee has main eventer written all over him, not just in NXT, but on the primary WWE roster as well. There is something, however, about these big men matches that do not translate nearly as well without the live crowd. Lee Priest could have been better, just like the triple threat with Dijakovic could have been better. It might just be the energy from the fans that enhances the incredible things that these guys do instead of when you're seeing them, you're like, oh, wow, that was really cool. 
but it actually means something when you hear an audience go, oh my God, holy shit. Like that just happened, right? So that might be it. Um, but they worked hard, no question. Um, I know many thought Keith Lee might drop the title here. Ultimately, I think him keeping it is the right decision in these uncertain times. I don't really want Keith Lee to debut on the main roster until there's a big crowd there to really put him over. So I don't see a reason to move him from NXT just to put him on SmackDown for no reaction in an empty arena setting. It was fine for the Forgotten Sons. Bianca Belair didn't really need it because she's so charismatic. And, and he is too. Don't get me wrong, but... You want that juice from the crowd where he comes out and like takes down Roman Reigns or stands up to Brock Lesnar or whatever the case might be, stands face to face with Drew McIntyre. You want that moment and you're not going to get that without a crowd. So for me, it's worth saving him. I do wish that Damian Priest sold better in the finish to the match. Uh, Keith Lee basically stopped him in a nightstick cold and he didn't like look shocked or surprised or anything like that. He then get dub- got double chopped in the chest. And it's an empty arena, so you would expect groaning or pain. There was just, it was quiet. And then Lee hit his double powerbomb and, you know, finished with the spirit bomb for the win to retain the title. Scott Kindernecht at Big Show underscore 66. He said, it's looking like Keith Lee isn't getting the call to SmackDown anytime soon. So who would you like to see his next opponent be? Gargano possibly could pull out even more of Keith in the ring. Now, Gargano, Keith Lee would be great. Don't get me wrong. But I don't think Organo needs to immediately be back competing for a title, especially a secondary title in NXT. So it's tough to choose his next opponent because a lot of potential challengers he's already beaten or they're wrapped up in other feuds. For example, I would love to see Pete Dunne, Keith Lee. I would love to see Matt Riddle, Keith Lee. They've teamed before, uh, but that is a North American title match that would be awesome and it would be a great opportunity for Riddle to win his first singles title in WWE. Um, So really looking up and down the roster, the only person I can think of right now would be Killian Dane. He's there locally, so he's available. We haven't seen him in a while. I think he has won his last couple of matches that did not involve a title um, or did not involve Keith Lee. And even that match, I I don't even, racking my brain, I forget if they even fought. It, It was so long ago. So Killian Dane, Keith Lee, again, you're staying in the Haas realm the big meaty men slapping meat, you know, uh, it would be a hell of a match. And Killian Dane is certainly incredibly talented. So I'd like to see them go in that direction until they kind of figure things out until maybe Riddle drops the title. Um, But Gargano, I just don't think he needs to be in a title feud right now. That's as far as I'm concerned. There's an absolutely massive lineup ahead for NXT next week, though, with Adam Cole defending the NXT championship against Velveteen Dream, Charlotte Flair defending the women's championship, against Io Shirai. Karrion Cross is going to make his in-ring or at least verbal debut. You're going to see his face, I guess, for the first time. Finn Balor is going to return to TV to address who attacked him the week prior. You're also going to get Johnny Gargano against Dominic Dijakovic. I mean, this is a mini takeover show, and they're going to give it to us all in one night. Now, AEW does have a really cool main event scheduled for next week. They do have uh, Matt Hardy teaming with Kenny Omega. What a weird, odd pairing against Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara, who have dubbed themselves Les Sex Gods. So that's going to be an awesome main event for AEW. I do think the AEW show in totality does look good, but this NXT show is a cannot miss next week. So I fully, fully anticipate uh, AEW to win the ratings this week. You know, as we're taping this, they won last week, which was a little bit of a surprise to me. But NXT next week really should take the ratings war 
Uh, and people, in my opinion, I mean, if you're a fan of both, which I think most people should be, in my opinion, you should be watching NXT next week live over AEW because that is a loaded, loaded card. And I don't know if we're going to get a title change, but we should get some awesome matches. And if they can kind of fill in some of those gaps there with storyline development, it's going to be awesome. So we're going to move into getting overtime. Again, a ton of questions this week. I did tell you this was going to be a reader-centric show. We're going to start with AEW and NXT because it is the Wednesday Night Wars edition. But then I'm going to talk WWE, some pop culture, some other stuff. Nick Flynn, N Flynn underscore 17. He said, at the end of the Cody versus Darby match, Dasha announced the winner as Cody Rhodes. Did he get the name back that quickly? I know the trademark that WWE had expired. Uh, If that's the case and he got it back, did they miss a fantastic opportunity for MJF's character here? As in, he gets the rights to the name, uses it in humiliating and demeaning fashion, pisses off Cody, and then Cody wins the name back. So uh, first of all, you're right. uh, WWE did let the trademark expire. But even though that's the case, apparently, at least according to Cody, they never prevented him from using the name Cody Rhodes. He just chose not to. So, But he did apply for the trademark, and I know he is trying to get it. I don't think it was granted that quickly. I'm kind of thinking that Dasha just messed up. Because pre-match, he was announced as Cody, and Brandy was announced as Brandy Rhodes. So they would have used it in both cases, and they certainly wouldn't have thrown it away in a post-match ring announcement on a non-event. If What maybe they would have done is, if he does win the TNT Championship, the graphic says Cody Rhodes, he holds it up, he cuts a promo, I am Cody Rhodes, you know, blah, blah, blah. This this TNT and wrestling in Georgia means a lot to my family. And, you know, you cut a promo like that. So I don't think they just snuck it in there, I guess is the best answer. Um, but honestly, the idea of MJF trademarking the name and like trying to take more of Cody's legacy, it's a really good idea. And I kind of wish that they went in that direction. So pretty smart booking there, Nick. I, I will give you credit for that one. Chad Plasinka at I Don't Exaggerate. What is Double or Nothing going to cost as a pay-per-view? And should AEW be providing the show for free or at a reduced rate? Well, they definitely should not be providing it for free because... I mean, why? Like they they have, they're selling pay per views. They are not the WWE. They need revenue. Um, they are still paying employees. They have not released anyone. I'm not drawing a comparison between WWE here. I'm simply saying they are not in seemingly in a cost cutting mode. Even though one would expect they're losing money from lack of gate revenue, right? So no, they need to sell this pay per view, and I'm okay with that. But do I want to pay forty nine ninety nine or fifty nine ninety nine? I really don't. A, I don't want to pay that for any AEW pay-per-view. I think it's ridiculous. Um, but B, without a crowd, without a match card that is going to stand up to what double or nothing we expected it to be, I think this should probably be like a $29.99 show. That's what I was doing. If I was Tony Khan, I would put this at $29.99. It's still a pay-per-view. You're still giving additional you know, um, content for people to enjoy. Maybe that price point lures in more people who have otherwise not been willing to pay $49.99 or $59.99. Another thing to consider is people were probably watching AEW, at least some circles, in watch parties, right? Probably friends, four, five, six people getting together to watch. Well, when you pay 60 bucks for one group, that's totally fine. Everyone splits it, 10 bucks each, whatever. But people are social distancing, they're quarantining, they're staying away from each other. You want to make this a pay-per-view that many more people can afford and that friends can watch together despite making it cost prohibitive. And if you make it 50 or 60 bucks, it's going to turn a lot of people off. So yes, they should be reduced. No, it should not be free. 
Anthony Brown at Anthony Brown underscore junior. If you were introducing someone to NXT, what three matches would you have them watch? If I was introducing someone to NXT, I would tell them to put on NXT TakeOver New Orleans. And I would tell them to watch the entire show. If they like that, then they have plenty more that they're going to like. If they don't like it, then they're not going to like NXT. Very simple. Atish Tawari at Atish, A-T-E-E-S-H-9-1-1. Having heard a few veterans like Undertaker and Big Show talk about how big men should work, quote unquote, do you think Keith Lee's style is a welcome disruption to the typical old school big men ring work? Absolutely. And not just Keith Lee, but Dominic Dijakovic as well. Damian Priest to a slightly lesser degree. But Lee and Dijak, uh, they are such unique, talented big men that, you know, someone like Keith Lee is a person, a wrestler who I want to get featured over someone like a Braun Strowman, where it's yelling, being a monster, a couple power slams, etc. Keith Lee has a moveset. Keith Lee is extremely dynamic and entertaining. Keith Lee is so good that even the way he runs the ropes is unique. Like, just think about that. He runs the ropes in a unique, different style that makes him stand out, not just in terms of his explosiveness and his agility, but his hand mannerisms. Go back go back and watch the Damian Priest match or any other match that Keith Lee's in when he runs the ropes, and you're like, wow, there's charisma there. He's different. So Keith Lee definitely does break the stereotype, but he breaks more of the... Mark Henry stereotype in the same way that Bam Bam Bigelow broke like the earthquake or Vader type of stereotype. You have Keith Lee breaking the, this is what a large man or a large African-American man should be like in the ring. No, no, no. This is what the most athletic large man I've ever seen in my entire life looks like in the ring. That's how I look at it. So, so Keith Lee, yes, he's unique. Um, I don't think he's the quote unquote big man that Taker and Big Show are really talking about. That's more like a big show Braun Strowman type of guy. But don't forget, even Taker was doing stuff like diving over the top rope. And, you know, he did the old school move. Um, those are all unique things that The Undertaker brought to the table during his day. So he didn't operate like a typical big man either. But yes, I do like that Keith Lee is not just, I'm a big man and I powerbomb you, even though that is his finisher. This guy can do so much more. I really think the ceiling is limitless, uh, pun intended, I guess, for him. Joe Harley at Joe Harley Does. He writes in, I know Cesaro is involved with Nakamura and Zayn. That said, what are your thoughts on him and Dijakovic joining Undisputed Era when they debut on the main roster? I love the image of them on the ends and the four UE members in the middle. I don't think you need to add Cesaro. Give him Dijakovic. Give him one other dude. Uh, Brandon Vick or Vink or whatever his name is. Give him that guy. Uh, that works better than Cesaro. Cesaro's good right now. Cesaro, Nakamura, and Zayn, the Artist Collective, which is not an official name, but I think it's what Zayn calls them. It's pretty smart, honestly. You have Cesaro coming out as a wrestling purist, which is something that has always really been his gimmick, but they've never really leaned into it. I love the gear. I love the look. Cesaro's doing great. Nakamura has been better used than he had been in quite some time, and he's been poorly used, obviously, for a long period of time. And Sami Zayn, who I don't particularly enjoy, don't particularly like him, uh, he's gotten over in this character and it has worked. So leave them alone. But yes, I would bring up Undisputed Era. Again, I'd wait until crowds are back, but I would bring them up with Dijakovic and maybe that guy, Brennan Vink. I, I, I think just two big guys like that, but Cesaro's fine. Leave him alone. Sean McDermott at I'm Bored Brother. He actually has multiple submissions, so I spaced him out. We are now one third of the way through 2020. Who has been the wrestler of the year to this point? Will they be at year's end? It's a really good question. 
I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but I did rack my brain. I thought about match quality, impact, blah, 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 through everything. And ultimately, I arrived at Drew McIntyre. And I actually did speak with Jack Crosby about it as well. We, I touched base. I'm like, am I wrong to think this? And he told me I was not and that I was correct. Uh, Drew won the Royal Rumble, eliminated Brock Lesnar from it to a massive reception. He got over on Brock in a major way on Raw uh, with those three Claymore kicks that the crowd went absolutely nuts for. He won the title at WrestleMania over Brock in a pretty decisive fashion. He's been cutting great promos and doing great character work ever since. Now, when you think about it, you're saying, oh, well, that's all in a limited period of time. No, it's not. The Royal Rumble was in January, and he was building himself up to that moment for a couple of weeks prior as well. So if you're just looking at 2020, January to present, I really think you have to give it to Drew McIntyre. There's not really a woman in WWE who kind of comes to that level. You could have said maybe Rhea Ripley, but they took the title off her. So that completely slowed her momentum. Now she's gone. I mean, she's there, but she's disappeared. You haven't seen her on TV. Um, I don't know if they're anticipating going Ripley, Charlotte, and Ripley winning the title back, maybe. But they took someone who was hot fire and they just she's completely cooled off. Uh, and then you go over to AEW and you're like, well, who would it be on, on them? Well, yeah, uh, Kenny Omega has had some really good matches, but they've mostly been meaningless. John Moxley has done some really good segments and, and promo work. And AEW was the best show, at least bet- between it and NXT, uh, basically every week from like January 1st until March. But Jericho was really the one driving all of that. And Moxley did win the title. But since then, he's been kind of nothing, whereas Drew's been significant. So I lean Drew McIntyre. That's my wrestler of the year. Second part of the question, will he be at year's end? It's really tough to know. If these empty arena shows continue, he very well might be. Uh, If we do get fans back in the summer, then I do think that AEW has a number of contenders for that. I think NXT and WWE as well. There's multiple people who could step up. We should also not discount the job that Seth Rollins is doing. I should just throw that out there. Rollins has been great. He was great on the Build to Mania. He's been great since. Ever since he lost the title and started developing this new Monday Night Messiah character, he has been doing top-notch work. He just, when you compare his impact to the impact that McIntyre has, he's number two in WWE right now. But he's done a great job, so a lot of credit to Seth Rollins. And thank him for being the first guest on Getting Over Wrestling Podcast as well. Nick Johnson at Nick Johnson underscore art. That's N-I-K. He's also the man who designed our logo, the Getting Over podcast logo. So thank you, Nick. He writes in, hey guys, with all this talk about Vince possibly selling WWE to ESPN or Fox, I was wondering if this makes you excited or nervous if WWE was to sell. What do you think would change? What would say the same if Disney was to buy them? Do you think they would include a Hall of Fame in Disney World? Lots of questions here. First of all, all this talk, and, and Nick, I'm not trying to come down on you, trust me, but all this talk, I think Dutch Mantel sent a tweet saying he heard from someone in Stanford that these talks were happening. Well, if these talks were happening, and look, this may come back to bite me in a couple of weeks when it, when it happens and all of a sudden WWE is sold, right? But if these talks were happening, Hollywood Reporter, uh, all these major media outlets that broke the, the SmackDown deal and the, the Raw deal with USA Network, we would be hearing a lot of inkling about this. This is Dutch freaking Mantel, who's not even an employee anymore, saying he heard something out of Stanford and asking Twitter people if it's true. So the guy doesn't even know if it's true, right? So that's where this is coming from. Um, So no, I don't think it's real. Number one, if WWE is going to sell, they're going to sell at the top of their stock price when they're at $90 a share, not when they're at 30 and kind of hemorrhaging right now. This is the wrong time for them to be selling. You're selling low. Uh, I'm not saying that WWE, 
after the pandemic is going to go back to 50, 60 a share, or it's going to be a huge company, but you do not sell at your lowest point. That is not how business works. Um, if it was to be sold, you know what? Uh, it's tough to say. There are sales that have happened. UFC was sold and Dana White remained in charge. And, you know, depends what you think about UFC and their, and their policies and how Dana runs the organization, but they haven't really missed a step and things have seemingly improved there. But WWE, if Vince is not the owner, then I don't think whoever does own it is going to want Vince in charge. That's an immediate change. Do they keep Triple H? If Disney buys them, do they tone down the product even more? Do they go back to full PG as opposed to like skirting the line between PG and PG-13? Um, in terms of a physical Hall of Fame being in Disney, I mean, what I, I don't know. Probably not. Uh, I would assume that if WWE ever does build, build a Hall of Fame, it'll either be in Stanford or it would be in Orlando, freestanding. Uh, they'd buy, build a facility, maybe, you know, include, maybe they'd move out of uh, Full Sail, actually build a local arena in Orlando and have a Hall of Fame there and have it be a multi-use facility. That's what I'd expect, but we're way off on that. So that's not happening anytime soon. Ben Porges at Ben Porges writes, why do you feel Andrade is on the verge of skyrocketing to the main event picture when they almost never really present him strongly for the last couple of months? And when they did, he lost cleanly and easily to Drew. It's a fair question, but Andrade, it's very simple. He has it all. Charisma, in-ring ability, just talent, the look. He has Zelina as his manager. He is a main eventer. This is a guy who is a top-of-the-card professional wrestler. It's just how it is. I don't know how else to explain it than he's a five-tool player, period. Um, in terms of how they're booking him, heels in WWE historically are not booked strong. Uh, they, When they have a group, they are successful. Uh, they win matches and they they cheat and you know so on. But when they actually go one-on-one -on -one with a strong face, they ultimately lose because you want the face to look good. WWE historically has not had a has not done a very good job of building strong, legitimate heels who win matches cleanly. So you can't really expect that from Andrade when he's in this role, especially not with Zelina. She's there to help him. That's the story that they're telling. So I'm totally okay with that. It does not make me feel like he is less legitimate. Now, granted. Do, does a Drew McIntyre, Andrade main event feud bring the ratings in? Probably not, because right now they need the biggest names they possibly can have with no fans in the arena, with interest dwindling, etc. But, you know, if you're building, if you had 10 draft picks to build a brand around in WWE, Andrade's one of the 10. It's as simple as that. And if you're going to be drafting 10 people, they're main eventers. Jordan Blainley at J-B-L-A-Y-N-E-Y 21. I definitely screwed up your name. Sorry, buddy. Uh, do you think John Cena will break Ric Flair's WWE-based world championship record? If it isn't John, will any man break it other than Charlotte breaking it as a woman? It's really tough here. Um, you know, they got Cena right up to that number for this to potentially happen. I do think there's an opportunity, just like The Rock did when he came back and held the title for a year and, and Cena had to kind of coax him into a WrestleMania match and, and to win the title back off him. Um... I do think there's an opportunity for Cena to come back in a year or two, win the title, break the record, and carry it for a period of time. I just don't know if they're going to go in that direction. Charlotte definitely will break Ric Flair's record. There's no question about it. They Many of the title reigns that she's had have been a month or a week, or she's dropped it just to win it back. They did that completely on purpose to inflate her numbers. With Charlotte, you have to consider, and this is not a, a man-woman thing, but you know, Charlotte, I don't know what her plans are for her life. If she wants to be a mother, if she wants to have children, how that will affect her wrestling career. Does she want to put it off? Does she want to, 
maybe have children soon and then go back to wrestling afterward? Does she want to have children and then her priorities might change afterward? There are other considerations when it comes into a women's wrestler and, uh, you know, her body and, and how she wants to continue her life, both professionally and personally, that a guy simply doesn't have to deal with due to physiology, just how it works. So I don't know what her plans are. And I don't know how those align or don't align with WWE's plans for her. But I do think it is for that reason that they have juiced up her early title reigns so that if she does decide or if she does get into a situation in her life where she decides to take a year off or even two years off from the ring, um, that she can you know have whatever happened in her personal life that she wants and then come back and be in position to win the title two or three more times and tie or break her father's record. So I do think she will definitely do it. John Cena, it's a really good question. I think it's one of those mysteries that lingers out there. But the fact that John has not stayed far away from WWE, even despite taking long periods of time off, I could see a period of time where Vince says to John, look, $5 million, give us six months, no movies, let's let's go. And John comes back, wins the title, has a nice run, and then drops it to someone who's a burgeoning star, Keith Lee or someone like that, and puts them over, shakes the hand, does the point, and then basically retires. So I definitely do see that happening. I think it's a possibility. I just can't guarantee that it will. Sean McDermott at I'm Bored Brother. He's back. He writes, The Office, Community, or Parks and Rec? This is going to be a divisive answer here. People are going to get mad, I think. Parks and Rec is the best show of those three. No question about it. You have to think about The Office. It started insanely strong. But as soon as Michael Scott left, it started going down and down the final season with the camera operator or the boom mic operator and all the different bosses they had. Some worked, some didn't. It, it, it really, it's not that it stopped being funny. It just got less funny as it went on. Community was pretty rock solid throughout the entire show. Very good show. Just does not compare longevity wise to the officer Parks and Rec. Parks and Rec, the first season, first season and a half were not nearly as good as the rest of the series. You, if you have not seen that show, it's an NBC sitcom, um, you have to get through the first season and a half. If you do, as soon as Ben Wyatt and Chris Traeger are introduced, um, that show goes from like a six out of 10 to a nine out of 10. And then as the years progress, it becomes a 10 out of 10. It's not the best sitcom of all time, that title still belongs to Seinfeld. But Parks and Rec is in my top five. It may be in my top three. Absolutely hysterical show. Ron Swanson is one of the greatest television characters of all time. Anthony Brown at Anthony Brown underscore junior. He wants me to rate my happiness level from one to 10 when the Dolphins took Tua Tunga Vailoa. So I did discuss uh, on last week's show how badly I wanted that to happen. I'm a huge Dolphins fan. I was extremely pleased that they took Tua. But my emotions in the moment were probably an 8 out of 10 instead of a 10 out of 10. And the only reason they were an 8 out of 10 is because I was so freaking nervous that this team that has disappointed me throughout my entire life, I mean, not my entire life, Marino was great, obviously, but for the, the largest portion of my life, constantly disappointed me, constantly made wrong choices in the draft. I could not, there were so many smoke screens. I didn't think they were going to take Herbert. I didn't think they were going to take an offensive tackle. But I was so concerned that they might, and I was so pessimistic about it, that it dampened the excitement and enjoyment of them actually drafting to a Tungavailoa. So it's an 8 out of 10 to answer your question. 
But man, I'm happy. And I do think two is the real deal. I think the Dolphins have a chance to win the AFC East this year, even if he doesn't play. That's how good I think this team is. That's how much I think they've turned it around from the start of 2019 already into the start of 2020. And we're going to conclude here at Sean McDermott at I'm Board Brother. Really good question and a fair question. What has been your assessment of the podcast with a couple months under your belt? Anything in the works we haven't seen yet on the show that you can tease? It's a really good question. So, you know, for people that have listened to every episode or have been long-term listeners, you guys know we started out with one co-host. He was supposed to be the main co-host, but never the only co-host. I was always going to have other people coming and joining me, Chris Manini, Jack Crosby, and there still will be other people that join me to co-host the show in the future. But I did have an initial plan for it, and that did not work out. And certainly I did see your comments about how some of those shows went and, um, you know, parts that were negative. And ever since that has changed and that Chris Vanini has kind of stepped in to be our WWE co-host, I've seen some of those comments change. I think Chris is doing a great job, Jack, when he's able to join, talk NXT and AEW or help preview or wrap up a WWE pay-per-view. I know you guys like Jack. He's been doing a really good job. There are other people that I do hope will come and co-host the show with me, um, you know, throughout the time. And I do also appreciate that a number of you have reached out to me and said, hey, even when you do the show solo, we're really enjoying it. I tried to prepare. I tried to break down the shows in an analytical uh, manner to be unbiased and objective. Certainly everyone has their preferences, but, you know, I try to look at things as unbiased as possible. So I think the podcast has gone well. Uh, what am I hoping to change or adjust? I do hope that the technology improves. I really want to get the sound quality stronger. In order to do that, I really do need more expensive equipment, different type of equipment. I know you guys want a soundboard. Just like the Vince McMahon, Triple H, Shawn Michaels segment, there are so many sound drops just from that segment that I would be using on every episode of this show if I had a soundboard, and I don't. I'm, I'm trying to do it kind of ghetto style with the... Uh, phone app, and it only works to such a degree where I hardly even use it uh, during the show. Um, you know, I think I used it like three times last week. I've used it once this week. So, you know, I am trying to figure out a way to do it. But if I do have a physical soundboard, I do want that to step up the quality of the show again, along with the equipment necessary to deliver the highest audio quality possible. In terms of whether anything's in the works that you haven't seen yet or heard yet, I guess, or that I'm going to tease. There's not really. Um, I do hope to have more guests. Usually my bookings are pretty strong, as you guys know from the former podcast. But due to the coronavirus pandemic and everything that's going on, people are not as available as they had been in the past. Therefore, we're doing a lot more analysis. I did hope for a long period of time to have a weekly interview episode. And I do hope that when things get back to normal, I am able to do that. And if not weekly, at least biweekly. But right now, that really just hasn't been the case. So that is something I would like to happen in the future. Um, we will see if it does. And my hope certainly is that is that it will. And I know a lot of you guys have also asked me about pay-per-view rewind uh, or a similar segment coming back. I do think that's possible. There has been so much going on, work, personal life, the NFL draft, as we just talked about, and really just getting the show under my belt that to do an additional episode of the show as just a pay-per-view rewind or even a single segment. You guys have to remember, long-term listeners, when we did that, it was just WWE. And then a little bit of NXT we would talk about. Now it's WWE, NXT, and AEW. It's almost July. I don't think that New Japan is going to run 
um, the G1 on schedule. But if they do, now we have the G1 to talk about. There's a lot happening. So pay-per-view rewind or equivalent, I would like to get that. I want to do more of these question and answers. I thought today went really well. But all in all, I just really appreciate you guys listening to the show, sticking with me. When I talk about five-star ratings and reviews, they are legitimately important. It helps the show move up in the Apple podcast rankings. I told you guys we were as high as 35 a couple weeks ago. That was incredible. We've dropped down since. That's both listener numbers. It's it's fewer reviews and, and ratings. So that's why I need to keep these numbers up. And of course, I tell you all the time, tell your friends about the show. Most of you talk about wrestling with other people, whether it's on Twitter, with Facebook, in personal life, on the phone. Tell them the podcast that you're listening to. You know, share it. When I tweet or... or um, When I tweet a show or when I tweet wrestling thoughts from the account, retweet, like, and share it. That's all very, very important to helping the show grow. Maybe I'll do some more polls on Twitter. Maybe I'll try to find some items if I can get companies to donate them. I'll do some giveaways. These are all things that I'm trying to do long-term for the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. I thank all of you for listening to this show, for listening to every show preceding it. We have a lot left in the tank. As Mark Henry would say, again, if I had a soundboard, I would do that drop right now, but I don't. Instead, you know how we end this show, and we're going to start ending every show the exact same. Elizabeth, come on out here, We got something going that's really big. Look in the video scope right now and tell him about Macho Madness. Tell him how strong it is and tell him where we're going, yeah. We into the twilight zone, yeah. And Hulk Hogan's got no chance, does he? No. Does anybody have a chance against the Macho Man Ray? No, no, they don't. And you're the greatest wrestler, past, present, and future that ever lived. Yes, you are. Okay, now say goodbye. Goodbye. Say goodbye. Okay, now get out of here. That's a little rough, Randy. Yeah, but it is rough. Yeah, wrestling is a rough sport. And I am the roughest one in the sport. I am the number one wrestler in the world today. I will. I thank you, Randy Savage. Bye for now.